welcome to Get Over It, the Consciousness Transforming Podcast for Exceptional 21st Century Living. Folks, we've got a good show today, and it's a very enlightening show. We're going to be talking about people in transition, whether they're going from male to female, female to male, or any other uh, combination that people feel out there. So we're talking about the transgender community. It's important that people know about this, and in this day of age with hate raging all over the place between races and especially in the uh, LGBTQ community, it's really important to have some knowledge. So we've got um, Paria Hasuri today with us, and she's going to be talking about her um, book, Found in Transition, A Mother's Evolution During Her Child's Ginger Change. And it's really eye-opening. She truly writes from the heart, and I think that... um, if any other parents right now are going through this, you will identify with a lot of what she has to say. And if you are someone who hasn't gone through this, you have a lot to learn. So stay with us because this is going to be a very eye-opening and thought-provoking show. The information shared on Get Over It uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break through blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that has been holding you back. But you guys know I always ask that question, are you truly ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. A bit about me for my new listeners, intuitive since birth, I'm a third generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing cutting edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional, and I am the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network, a 501c3 nonprofit. I provide consultations and healings in all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your very best life. My clients tell me that I keep it real while providing them with accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living a human existence, but they also say, if you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, Reiki master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapist, so whether you are stressed, depressed or possessed, I can help. To find out more about me and my services, go to my website, and that's MoniqueChapman.com, and I invite you to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. As her daughter transitions from male to female, Paria ultimately discovers her own capability to evolve, what it truly means to parent and how to use her voice to raise awareness on behalf of the transgender community. My guest today, Paria Hasuri, is the author of Found in Transition, a pediatrician, mother of three, and transgender advocate. Her essays have been published in the Washington Post, LA Times, Huffington Post, and... um, Woman's Running Magazine. She lives in LA and you can check her out online at her website and that's pariahasuri.com P-A-R-I-A-S-A no P-A-R-I-A-H-A-S-S-O-U-R-I.com So one more time P-A-R-I-A-H-A-S-S-O-U-R-I.com Welcome Paria. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's great to have you. I mean, you've got a um, great background being a physician yourself, but when um, your uh, child came out to you, you 
thought of it um, as a little bit of a, a shock kind of took you back. And because of all of that, and you finally embraced it, and then you came out to support your child, and then you wrote this wonderful book. So why the title, Found in Transition? Well, I think the title, Found in Transition, um, is really reflects my journey through this process and how while my uh, daughter transitioned from male to female, I also went through my own personal transformation and dealt with a lot of my own insecurities from my past and how um, that was causing me to uh, parent her with fear instead of love and um, also really found myself and who I am uh, at uh, the same price at the same time that that she was transitioning. So found in transition is um, is really more a reflection on my journey and and my evolution um, mm-hmm. during her transition process. Yeah. Well, as I was reading the book, it seemed as if it was a transition for the whole family and those around you that you knew because everything was looked at in a different light. Now you're an Iranian immigrant, and um, sometimes. You know, in all cultures, black culture too, um, being gay, transgender, any place on the LGBTQ um, BQ, uh, spectrum is just not accepted. How was it culturally for you when you found out? You know, I think for me personally, it wasn't as big of an issue culturally. It was really more of you know, here is something about my child um, that I knew nothing about. And so for me, it was really more of an identity shock as a mother and as a pediatrician um, than, than culturally. I mean, the, part, the cultural part that played into it was because I am an Iranian immigrant and I um, you know, grew up in a very uh, white neighborhood um, in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, and I had experienced some bullying and had sort of always felt like I was on the outside. You know, I had this fear that now my daughter was going to be the ultimate um, outsider. And so um, the the cultural part was was more about you know, experience, having experience being on the outside and then um, now now feeling like my daughter was going to potentially be the, the ultimate outsider. Um, but, but otherwise, I think um, I wasn't, I wasn't really uh, worried about it from, from a cultural standpoint, but I think it really uh, shook my identity as, as a mother and a pediatrician. Mm, okay. Um, what was the biggest mistake that you think you've made going through this whole process with Ava? You know, I think um, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes, but probably You're one human. of the biggest mistakes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> probably one of the bis- biggest mistakes I made was that when she when she came to me and at at 13 and a half and told me that she's transgender, I didn't really listen to her. Mm -hmm. And I assumed that I knew her better than she knows herself Mm -hmm. as her mother. And and because she's a teenager, and so how could she, you know, so she just must be confused and she doesn't know anything and, and, and these things. And so I didn't 
really listen to her with an open mind and an open heart and, and hear what she has to say. Um, and th- that, therefore, and so went into, a, you know, denial uh, mode instead of listening to what she had to say. And, and that uh, delayed her care for um, at least uh, six to nine months, which, um, which, which um, fortunately didn't have too terrible of a consequence for her, but it, it certainly could have. Yeah, but you know that it's six to nine months, it seems like, you know, normal birth, um, normal pregnancy is nine months, and the child can survive at six months. It was like you having a chance to give birth again, but birth to yourself. At least that's what I felt when I was reading through the book. You both went through this major transformation together. And what really um, caught my attention, I'd love for you to share this story with the audience, is uh, Ava sharing her shaving her legs and you shaving your legs at a young lady's mm-hmm. age. Tell the audience about that because it was quite telling, I think. Yeah, so it was it was interesting because um, she actually, uh, you know, when when she had come out and I, I was still in my denial and anger and grief sort of um, phase, she had gone and um, shaved her legs behind my back, and um, you know I was so upset that she had done that, uh, mainly because she, she was just a child who usually never really did anything without my permission. And so when she first shaved her legs without my permission, I realized, you know, she's doing this. I need to sort of take her um, seriously. But she also described the first time that she shaved her um, legs as sort of feeling like a caterpillar shedding um, and that she sort of, when she felt, you know, felt her smooth, you know, leg um, after shaving, you know, it was like she, it was like she found her body again or the body that she had known, you know, pre-puberty and and, and she felt like herself. And when I was, um, the first time I shaved my legs, so it sort of, the first time I shaved my legs, I think I was in sixth grade and I shaved my legs behind my mom's back. My mom, you know, did not want me to just sort of a little culturally conservative at that point and thought that, you know, I should be older before I start shaving my legs. And everybody else in sixth grade was, was shaving their legs and I would look, I would, you know, be playing four squares or whatever and look at um, the legs of, the, you know, these, my classmates who are, you know, very like blonde and white and, and, and fair. And you, my, I had these brown legs with thick, dark black hair and I just felt like I really stood out. And so, you know, I remember the first time that I shaved my legs behind my mom's back, I sort of felt a little less foreign and other. Um, and so we had sort of you know, she, so Ava and I both, <laughs> you know, she, she uh, shaved our legs sort of earlier and against our mother's wills, but um, had this similar experience of feeling like uh, you, you've sort of found yourself and belong more, you know, through it. So Yeah, I, 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 when I read it, it was like, wow, badge of independence for both of them, and they both did it the same way, you know, not necessarily even yeah. knowing what you had done, but, you know, it was yeah. just uh, wonderful to see how, you know, you both came to terms, and then you both stood out in a way that you could stand up and stand up and believe for what it was that you were, you know, um, looking to move forward on. Now, in the book, um, 
you talk a lot about um, your emotions behind, you know, Ava and what she was looking to do. And you were supportive, you know, once you could get on board, you were supportive. How long did it take you to come to the realization that, okay, she's serious, this is not a fad, this isn't, you know, a game for her, this is what she truly wants. How long did it take you to come to that conclusion and what were the major points that you grappled with before you reached that conclusion? I think it took... About uh, six to nine months, uh-huh. I, I think the main issue was, you know, about, so when, you know, she, she came out at 13 and a half to us. We didn't, we were completely blindsided by, we didn't think she had any, you know, signs of being trans when she, when she was a younger child. Uh-huh. Um, so we, we just thought, okay, this is, this is some teenage confusion, attention getting um, phase kind of thing. But about six months after um, she came out, there couple, you know, I had a um, call from a school counselor and she had gone into the school counselor's office and said that she was having um, thoughts of self-harm and, and suicidal oh. thoughts um, again. And so when the counselor called me, it was like, okay, well, it's time to change strategy from, you know, what I've been doing, you know, hasn't uh-huh. been working. And what, what I had been doing is is taking her to various um, therapists, but sort of not really listening to them and, and switching her therapists around and, and that, you know, and, and, um, and not really taking her specifically to like the Los Angeles Gender Center or, you know, really learning and educating myself more. Um, and so that was sort of a turning point where it was like, well, this is not, this is not working. I mean, I can't, you know, have her having suicidal thoughts. I need to uh-huh. um, switch strategies. And then I ended up going to my first support group meeting, uh, Transforming Family for Parents of um, trans and gender diverse children. And I think that first support group meeting where I, um, you know, walked in and there were so many other parents like me whose kids had come out as teens or older, young adults, uh, and the parents had been completely blindsided the way I had. And, you know, for the first time it was like, it felt like, okay, our, our story is not unique and, you know, I'm not alone. And if there are so many other kids that have had this same story and their parents have been completely blindsided by it, then then this is probably real and I need to take, you know, start doing something about it. So, um, so I think it was really that combination of that call from the school teacher then making me finally end up in a support group and and um and and then really that support group is where my education process you know um uh took off really did you have any clue though as you know a mother raising your child did you have the slightest clue now that you look back on your life and your experience with experiences with Ava as to whether or not oh there was a sign there but I chose to ignore it I really, really have racked my brain so many times and, you know, combed mm-hmm. through all of my memories. Um, and I don't think I, that, I don't think that there was ever anything 
that knowing what I knew then, I would uh-huh. attribute to gender, you know. So okay. usually we think of, you know, trans kids as, okay, they want to maybe, uh, you know, wear clothing that is not traditionally, you know, me- meant for them or uh-huh. play with toys that aren't traditionally for them or get involved in activities, you know, or b- basically we think of trans kids as having signs of, that would be related to gender in some way or another. And, and she really never, never did. She did have depression off and on, for which there uh-huh. was never really a good explanation, but uh-huh. there was never anything to say that um, gender may be the source of the underlying depression. Okay. In the book, you share a wonderful story about ironing her purple dress, I believe it was, before mm-hmm. she came out to the family. Tell us how you felt when you were ironing ironing your dress for your now daughter and how did the family accept her yeah yeah so I will never you know that scene of ironing her dress for the first time she wanted to wear a dress for Thanksgiving and you know she just told me I left something on my bed for you to iron and I you know went and I saw it was a maroon dress and I I knew it was going to be a a dress and um you know, that first time you're ironing a dress for what in your mind and heart at that time you still see as your son. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're just thinking, how did, how did this happen? How did I end up here? You know, it's sort of a scenario you've never pictured or imagined that you're going to end up in, you know, as a mother. Um, and, you know, I just was so full of fear for what her future was going to hold, you know, while I was uh, ironing this, this dress. Um, and I think, you know, the family, I think it, it was the hardest for me as her mother by, by mm-hmm. far, uh, you know, of all the people. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it was then second hardest for my husband, but he had an easier time than I did. Um, her siblings were completely fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think there was some drama that Thanksgiving. You know, my mom also didn't, you know, I kind of called my sister or texted my sister to let my mom know that Ava would be coming in for a dress, coming in to Thanksgiving for, you know, in a dress for the first mm-hmm. time. And, you know, my mom wasn't, um, even though, she, you know, she already knew what was going on with Ava and she had been supportive, but she still wasn't super thrilled about Ava showing up in a dress. You know, it's, it's one thing to say you support and then another thing to see your grandchild in a dress for the first time at Thanksgiving. And so it was a really, um, that was a really stressful Thanksgiving and a very stressful time. But mm-hmm. I think um, overall, everyone around us really rallied to support her and um and i I think we've we've had um as as almost as good of an experience and support system as as one can hope to have okay um you i think when i was reading the book at least i took it this way um as a wake-up call um at some point ava had questions but for whatever reason, she didn't want to ask or bother you. So she was going to Reddit for information, and you mm-hmm. about blew a gasket. Um, was that a wake-up call? And how did you feel about your child not feeling comfortable to talk to you about what was most pressing on her heart? Yeah, I think at that time, I was so 
um, I was so angry. It should have been a wake-up call when she was going on Reddit to ask questions, but uh-huh. I was really so angry at that time um, that my own anger and what was happening with my own emotions really uh-huh. clouded my vision of being able to see you know, what was going on with her. And uh-huh. I, you know, I didn't know what Reddit was, and I, so it was very scary to me that is she, she's going online and she could potentially develop some sort of online relationship with someone who's like answering her questions, and then that could put her in danger and her siblings in danger. You know, I still don't actually know exactly what Reddit is. You know, and so I was so, yeah, so I was just so, um, uh, I was so consumed with my, (laughs) with with anger and, and, and fear that, I didn't look at it as like, hey, um, she's having to go there because when she tries to come to you, you're saying no, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. Um, and who who is she? So who is she supposed to ask her questions from, you know? Because it, you, she did have a therapist, but you know, you have access to your therapist once a week for 50 minutes, and you in right. between you can't call and text your therapist 100 questions, you know. So um, you know, it should have been a wake up call, but I was so stuck in 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 my own emotions that that unfortunately it wasn't well you know what you're entitled because it's always a process folks we're speaking with Paria Hasuri MD she's the author of found in transition a mother's evolution during her child's gender change you can check her out at her website and that's pariahasuri.com p-a-r-i-a-h-a-s-s-o-u-r-i dot com um paria um it was interesting to me um when ava you know identified as female she took on a name and she really liked the name lucy but you didn't seem Mm -hmm. to agree with that too much how come (laughs) yeah you know so for us you know names have a huge significance in in our family I mean for for all parents you know names have a Uh lot of significance you know you spend so much time thinking about what you're going to you know name your kid and not and so many people name their kids you know after a a family member or you know a grandparent or you know the middle name of somebody significant to them or you know something Uh like that and so you, for us, all our children had we uh, had made it a point to give our children all um, Middle Eastern names and you know Iranian names, and you know my other two kids' names are Arman and Shada, and so when she told us initially that she wanted the name Lucy, it just it felt like not only was she um, going to have a new go by a different gender identity but that it was almost like she was leaving it at that time. It it felt like you're just trying to leave the family, you know, altogether because Lucy is in no way, you know, just not, you know, Middle Eastern and Uh I just felt no connection to it. And and, and it felt like, um, you know, if I, you know, introduce my children to someone and I'm like, these are my children – Arman, Lucy, and Shada, like, to me, it just felt like that didn't, that didn't fit. And, and so it was very important for me, for her to have a name that I felt still 
culturally fit in with with our family. Um, So we ended up, you know, and she definitely wanted a name that was also American. So we ended up giving her a list of names that um, can be uh, American, but we also have in our culture. Um, And we have the name Ava, except we pronounce it Ava and I. Oh, okay. uh, So so we kind of i mean i we we she actually does like it pronounced ava so we do so we do call her ava my my mom called her ava you know okay so it just felt like um felt important to me for uh, for us to still have some say in her in, in naming her again mm-hmm. now now ava's gone through a lot and um we'll get to that in, in a moment but do you feel that she has any regrets or to, are you fearful that she might have regrets and want to go back to being a male yeah that's an um, excellent question so i think a lot of my hesitation um even once i started accepting that this was probably a real thing in in allowing her to transition was what if she would change her mind later and what you know what if she would have regrets and you know her physicians at that time you know told us that the chance um, that she would change her mind or have um, any sort of regret would be um, at most two to three percent in kids who present at teen or later Um, she uh, she does not have any regrets Um, I do not have any regrets I don't um, think that she will ever have any regrets you know, I've learned now that nothing in life is 100%, but I feel 99.9% sure that, mm-hmm. that this is who she is and, um, and that she won't regret it. I do, um, and I've also realized that even, let's say, that in the 0.1% chance um, that she does change her mind, you know, later, um, I still think that uh, we have made the right decisions for her for now, for the child, you know, we have in, in front of us, you know, today and the child we had mm-hmm. in front of us, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, so Okay. Okay. Now, you're a very successful pediatrician. How has the experience with Ava and even your other two children, you know, because they don't come with a book. Um, how, has that, how has that helped you enhance your practice in dealing with parents? Yeah, I think, you know, with something like this, well, I've become a lot more aware of gender in in general, you know, and I think um, not just in terms of trans or gender uh, diverse kids, but really um, becoming aware of how much we do impose gender roles and gender expectations uh, on children um, and really making an effort to take gender out of things or, you know, um, sort of approach things from a gender neutral stand, you know, Mm -hmm. whenever possible. Um, I've also really started to be better at recognizing um, signs of a possible gender issue uh, mm-hmm. in children that aren't sort of the traditional signs we think of. Um, and so, for example, a lot of trans um, children and teens will have things like 
you know, unexplained depression or um, social difficulties or sometimes some sensory issues are more common in trans kids or, um, you know, uh, kind of um, there's a higher rates of um, ADHD in, in trans kids because their minds are so uh, occupied with sort of gender noise that they have a harder time you know, with focus and, and attention. So, so I've also just learned to, you know, recognize other uh, signs that could potentially be, you know, a clue to the child having a gender, possible gender issue when, when it's not so um, obvious. And, um, and I've had to educate myself a lot on just transgender care in children and teens and, um, and become a resource for every, all the, the other pediatricians in my group as well. Mm-hmm. So. so are there now continuing education courses on um, trans and LGBTQ4 physicians so that they can have a further understanding? Um, there are. There are many. However, they're not, they're not mandatory. So if somebody doesn't, you know, every, if physicians every year are required to do a certain amount of continuing medical education okay. uh, credits uh, to maintain their licenses, but you get to choose what topics you, know, you, you do that in. So I have done a lot of it in, in trans care, um, but most physicians probably still don't. So, and, I, and I think that um, really there should be some requirement for all primary care physicians to mm-hmm. learn sort of the basics of, uh, of, of trans care and, and get, some, get some training, um, which really hasn't been a requirement so far. Okay, now are there doctors out there who specialize just, and I'm not talking the doctors that perform the operations, but are there doctors mm-hmm. out there who specialize in working with trans people? Yeah, so, you know, so working with trans people is not a medical specialty the way you become like a cardiologist or a pulmonologist. You know, you don't have to be, usually we think of hormones as um, something that endocrinologists uh, take care of. But really, to do trans care, um, you just have to um, sort of have an interest in providing care to this population and, and, and then just learn the, you know, what the medications are and what, uh, you know, what needs to be monitored and, and, and do it. So most doctors who are doing trans, so there's a, most doctors who are doing trans care um, are internal medicine doctors or family physician doctors or, or pediatricians um, who j- just have an interest in this and, and then, um, you know, end up treating patients and, and then their uh, practice sort of gets tailored towards that because they're maybe one of the few doctors in their area who are doing it. Okay. So tell us a bit about you and your work with activism in this arena. I mean, you know, I think that we are presented with many opportunities all the time, and Ava has pre- had presented you with a wonderful, mind-blowing, life-changing opportunity, and you mm-hmm. took it. So tell us about yeah. that. Yeah. You know, I think, so um, a lot of what I'm doing in terms of activism is just be. I think just visibility is a form of activism in itself. You know, we um, there's the t- statistics that you know, eighty up to eighty percent of Americans um, 
assumes that they either haven't met a trans person or don't you know, know a trans person you know, um, well. And so I think um, just being visible and, and sharing our story, you know, and if somebody you know, reads my book, even if they haven't met me or they hear me talk, you know, they might feel like, oh, well, now they sort of know a family you know, with, a, with a trans kid. And then when there's um, you know, something in the news or you know, media about trans people and trans rights, they're more likely to you know, pay attention and, and, and see you know, what the issue is. So I think just, just being visible um, is, is definitely a form of activism in itself. Um, I have now um, the support group I go to, Transforming Family, um, I became um, one of their board members, and so I do a lot of intake calls for new families um, that have trans kids. I um, you know, joined the um, National Center for Transgender Equality and became a you know, member there and the Human Rights Campaign and um, you know, follow uh, all the work that they do and you know, they often have, you know, petitions to sign and different ways that you can, you know, help and ways that you can donate and, and volunteer and make a difference. Um, you know, I'm, you know, giving uh, various talks. Um, and um, so, yes, really I went from not knowing anything about this, you know, this field um, to educating myself as much as possible and, um and surrounding myself with a community of other parents, you know, with, with trans kids who are really fighting hard um, for equal rights, you know, for, for their children. Okay. What would you say to a parent listening now whose child has, you know, come out and they still can't wrap their mind around it? What message would you give to that parent? I would say, um, you know, I would really say, don't um, underestimate your capacity to evolve along with your child if you really open your mind and listen to them. Mm-hmm. And I think what made the greatest difference for me was going to a support group and hearing other parents with stories similar to mine. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I would say if you haven't, and I initially had resistance towards going to a support group, you know. Uh, so I would say if you haven't reached out for support from other families who are experiencing the same thing, um, mm-hmm. do that. You know, I, 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 whenever we get a new family in our support group, you know, and they um, come for that first meeting sort of completely, you know, bewildered and um, lost and not knowing what to do, I say, you know, you came to your first meeting, you're, you're going to be... I know you're gonna you're you're gonna change and uh, and be able to over time accept it and, and move on and evolve with your child. Mm-hmm. I think going to that first meeting is so very important. Okay, and just supporting your child and loving your child. And sometimes it's hard with the information or whatever that the child brings home, what they present to you. But um, I think if we look at it as a learning experience, and then instead of attacking. Uh, you know, digest and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, ask questions so that you can accept, it would uh, turn out much, much better for everybody Mm -hmm. involved. Um, Now, Ava, um, where is she she now in school? What grade? Uh, She's a senior in in high school and applying to colleges and 
and she wants to be yeah. a what? <laughs> um, she actually really likes, uh, right now, she's really into writing and, and literature, and she thinks mm-hmm. she wants to be a literature professor, but um, she has okay. changed her mind over the years a few times, but that's, that's what, right now what she's thinking she would like to do. Okay, well, she does write we really all. beautiful poetry, so. Okay. Well, you know, I, I think that she's a voice to be reckoned with. Now, when we go to your yes. website, um, pariahasuri.com, what are we going to find there? So on that my website, there's going to be some uh, links to various articles I've written for the New York Times and the LA Times and um, there's going to be links to some of the podcasts I've done. Um, there's a link to my old uh, blog. <laughs> um, and there's also a contact uh, me uh, uh, area where, um, you know, anybody can uh, I answer all emails that I get, you know, for families who are struggling with this. Uh, uh-huh. Many of them have emailed me, um, and people can also subscribe to my newsletter. And when I have an up, uh, article that I've written or, you know, other things to share, I, I send out um, information to people. So, um, so a lot of information on sort of things that I'm doing. Uh-huh. And and also a great way just to reach out to me with any questions. Yeah, and folks, you know, as you can tell, she's very soft and kind and wonderful. You can feel the love emanating from Paria's heart as we're speaking together. And I'm quite sure you're going to get that should you contact her. And she's put the um, information out there. She's opened the door for you. So if you are a parent who is struggling to come to terms with this, you know, reach out. Okay, I I know so many parents who, you know, they called me and and the typical question is, and you're like, I want to like reach to the phone and strangle, but the typical question is, can it be prayed out of them? I'm like, no, that's who they are. Did any of that ever cross your mind when Ava was little that maybe prayer or affirmations or or treatment would, you know, just flip the script or... What? No, I definitely never thought about that. I mean, I just didn't know, you know, when she first came out, whether whether, whether this was actually true for her or, or she, uh-huh. you know, but no, I didn't so think young. that, that you know, that if, if, if this is genuinely who she is, that it is something that can, that anybody can, can alter or do anything about, you know, um, mm-hmm. other than, um, you know, su- support them if, if that's truly who they are. Yeah, that was interesting when my youngest son came out to me, gay, and I was, you know, eventually you tell other people, and um, I told someone who um, we met when our kids were in kindergarten, and when my kid was 10, he got attacked by a dog, and it was pretty vicious, so when I told him that, you know, he's gay, the first thing that came out was, that damn dog attack, and I'm like, huh? Oh, what? <laughs> I'm like, what? And they blamed yeah. the dog attack for him being gay. And I haven't spoken to them since because they are not in the mindset. Yeah, of, that's you just, know. yeah. So <laughs> well, out like, there that how do you even, where do you even start with that? You know? Exactly. Put one together with the other. So it's really, yeah. really strange. Well, Pari, I do appreciate you coming on and talking to us about this because it's much needed now, especially in these times that we're um, living in. Are you 
ever afraid for Ava or is Ava ever afraid for her safety? Because you're hearing about so many people being attacked these days. Yes, absolutely. Uh, You know, um, violence against trans women, particularly trans women of color, um, is really... um, uh, very, very scary and, and, and real. And so, you know, we just try our best to, you know, be as safe as possible. I mean, right now, obviously, it's a pandemic. And so we're, we're home. She's, you know, <laughs> she's like not going out and, yeah. and walking home, you know, late at night or, or things mm-hmm. like that. But, but you know, we, um, you know, it, it, it definitely is something we, we worry about and, 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 and we are, you know, careful and, um, you know, we make sure she, you know, never walks home, uh, you know, alone at, at night or doesn't get mm-hmm. in a Lyft or Uber, you know, without a friend, you know, pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so absolutely to say that we have no fear would be um, completely uh, an unrealistic statement. Yes. Okay. Well, um, one but thing I forgot. To we're hoping that over time it gets better. You know. Well, that's <laughs> that our when prayer. When people have right? more knowledge, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, just acceptance. You know, you don't even have yeah. to like it or like the person. Right. Just oh, that's who you are. No judgment. Fine, and just move on. You yeah. know, uh, so many people today yeah. that have such great judgments. One thing I um, wanted to mention earlier, and I didn't. I actually had a question around it. Was at some point in time, you guys talked about freezing Ava's sperm in order for her to have biological children later. Mm-hmm. Um, for for the audience's sake, is that a reality? And did it happen in your case? Well, we did freeze her sperm, so she does have frozen sperm in case she would like to have biological children in the future, um, then then she could absolutely do that if she wanted to. Um, it, it depends on the age of the child, um, you know, uh, transitioning, and, um, and it's also, you know, like f- uh, freezing eggs for, for trans men, freezing eggs is... A much more difficult process and a much more costly process so um, it's not realistic or doable for everybody but it's certainly um, a possibility for some okay I, I chuckled when I read the part about the three-day masturbation schedule and how you had yeah. to send whatever in FedEx to you know the, mm-hmm. where it needed to go it was just it was like you, you really supported your child Okay, and yeah. I commend and congrats because that's a lot. So I really commend and yeah. um, congratulate you. Well, Paria, thank you again for being with us today. I greatly appreciate your time and your attention. Thank you so much for having me and sharing this with your audience. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It's an important um, subject to share. And folks, remember that the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of acceptance upon the blessings, light, and love to all. Agape.